Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. I'd always known that my great-grandfather, Marciano Calderon, Mars for short, died in World War II, but I didn't know much else. Then, a few weeks ago, I was texting with my mom about my podcast, and she asked if she ever told me the story of how they found Lolo Mars's body. She hadn't, and so my mom reached out to her aunt, my Lola Terry, to make sure she had all the details right. Then... She emailed me my great-grandmother's memoir, page by page, so I could also get her perspective of the story. And so, with my grandmother and Lola Terry's permission, I'd like to tell you a story of the brutality of war and of my great-grandfather's last moments, as told by my great-grandmother, with some edits for clarity. The War dedicated to Colonel Marciano Calderon and Dorotea Calderon. We were in the cathedral attending the Mass for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception when we were shaken with the news that the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. We all looked at each other, tongue-tied. We cried and prayed. After that, the people left the church in a daze, not knowing where to go or what to do. Mars and I went to the grocery store to stock up on canned goods, but for how long? We packed up our clothes and other things that could be carried in the car. People were instructed to travel back to their hometowns. Those from the city remained. We decided to stay with my family and settled on a piece of land owned by my parents. My mother Barbara was already a widow since 1936. With us were my sisters, Profesita and Felina. Mars returned every weekend to bring us food and money before going back to his station. After almost a year of such a dreary life in the mountains and with the constant threat of a Japanese invasion, I could not help thinking, what if one day Mars could not return home anymore? Around 1942, Colonel David and Colonel Fenton were in a cave called Bartolina in the town of Toledo. This was where the army headquarters were hidden. They received orders from General MacArthur to disband and to transfer the headquarters in the mountains and said his famous words, I shall return. My brothers were all officers in the Philippine army. Soon, the soldiers and officers became restless and they decided to reorganize under the command of Colonel Fenton and Colonel David. They formed the Southern Cebu Sector. My brother, 
Colonel Luis Hakosalem, was the overall commander as well as the commanding officer of the Demonhog quarters. The reorganized army forces took command of the local government and all towns to the south of Cebu Island. In order to avoid espionage, the army ordered all people to return to their hometowns immediately. Those who refused were to be punished by law. Some officers were head over heels drunk with their new power and feelings of superiority and abused their authority. This was how the husbands of the Melgar sisters met their tragic ends when they were shot to death after refusing to vacate the city immediately. One night in 1942, the officers, soldiers, and civilians went down from the mountains to town in order to celebrate the first Friday of the month. Unfortunately, at 3 a.m. before the mass was supposed to start, the Japanese entered Demonhug by way of the seashore. I quickly gathered myself and the children and boarded our car with Mars. The car was pushed by our soldiers. One of our soldiers was rumored to have extraordinary powers, and so we were able to get away quickly, undetected by the Japanese soldiers amid all the panic and mayhem. There was a lot of confusion and screaming as people made their way back to their hiding places in the mountain. My brother Luis, in his effort to defend the town, was stabbed and bleeding to death. His eldest son, Joel, who was about four years old, pressed on his wound by lying down on it. People who saw this unfortunate situation helped them, and they were able to escape to Bahol with his wife's family. From our hiding place in the mountains, we made our way to Barrio Kandanaai, where Mars's relative Crispin Chan lived. I will always remember the rough seas we had to endure during the dangerous crossing. It was made even more uncomfortable because I was three months pregnant. When we arrived, we lived in a house built along the side of a mountain. The Japanese officers offered cash rewards to Filipino soldiers who could lead them to the capture of other Filipino officers and soldiers. One army officer, Deo Gracias Regis, whom we used to call Gassing, knew about our hiding place. He employed our cook, Sinto, to guide the Japanese to where we were. Two days before Christmas, on December 23, 1943, the evil Gassing Regis tricked Mars into hiding further up in the mountains because the Japanese were marching towards our place. But it was a trap. We were surrounded by Japanese soldiers. Mars, upon seeing Sinto, shouted, So, you are the Judas that led the Japanese. All of our firearms were confiscated. We were quickly identified because of our family picture, which showed Mars in his uniform. We denied that any of the other people with us were soldiers, and we faced our ill fate alone. We were tied together with a rope, starting with Ellen, who was six, escorted by a Japanese soldier, followed by Teresita with another soldier escort, and then myself with escorts on my left and right, and then Mars, who was tied to the other end of the rope, with two guards beside him. We were made to walk from Barrio Lombog to the town of Bajan. The poor young girls trembled with fear, but marched without complaint, tears constantly flowing from their eyes. Whenever we stopped to rest, Mars was tied to a tree, like a dog. 
We waited for two hours in Bajan to wait for the Japanese-appointed mayor, Silvano Hakosalem, to identify us. He happened to be my nephew, and we were taken to his house under his custody. Mayor Hakosalem released me and the children, but my husband was brought to the Japanese headquarters called Kempitai, which was housed in Cebu, where he was kept in isolation. I decided to go back to Cebu with the children to be closer to Mars. Tining, the head nanny of our household, and my two sisters accompanied me. On September 16, 1944, the Americans came. They started bombing the Kempitai and the whole city of Cebu. My husband escaped from the Kempitai, and he ran towards the direction of our house. When I heard that they bombed the Kempitai, I ran towards it. Miraculously, we found each other midway. We ran through a series of air raids that sounded like thunder and lightning. We walked, ran, rolled, and jumped trying to escape the bombs. At this point, I was already going into labor pains. When we stopped to rest, we ran into Tining and the children. Another miracle. We continued on our way back to Damanhog, passing hordes of Japanese soldiers. By the time we reached Pardo, several cities before Damanhog, Mars was able to hire a karamata, a carriage led by a water buffalo, for me to ride on. That evening, we reached Karkar. My friend and former classmate recommended that we stay in one of the houses owned by another family. Now, everybody knew that this house was haunted, even before the war. But we were tired, and I was in labor, so we really had no choice but to settle in this house for the night. Dr. Enriquez helped me deliver a healthy baby boy. From the haunted house, we moved to a small Nipa hut. Mars got a priest and had our first baby boy baptized, Francis Salvador. He was named Francis after the patron saint of Demonhug, and Salvador because he was saved from the Japanese. With the help of Tining, we roasted a pig and had a small celebration amidst all the death and destruction. On the evening of September 22nd, Filipino soldiers came to our house, passing through doors and windows looking for Mars. We almost got stepped on since we were sleeping on the floor. They said they were sent by Colonel Fenton to get Colonel Calderon and bring him to the general headquarters. Mars, without much delay, rose to his feet, got dressed, and brought his 45 caliber revolver. He bade me a hasty goodbye, kissed the children, and told us he would be back soon. Take good care of the children, were the very last words he said to me. This was the last time we saw Mars alive. Lieutenant Lopez, a close friend of Mars who was in charge of the Karkar Army Unit, gave us the best care and protection while Mars was away. My sisters gathered the children around the vicinity and gave classes free of charge. The grateful parents, in return, brought us chicken and eggs, vegetables, and bananas. Tining joined the classes, and that was how she learned to write. Innocently, I kept sending food and clothes for Mars, thinking that he was still alive. In May 1945, peacetime was declared. My husband had still not returned. 
We continued with our daily life, not knowing what really happened to Mars. One time, Mars's mother Celsa called us to find out why Mars had not returned yet. We tried to humor her and told her that he was busy with his army duties. In the course of conversation, she mentioned that she would not be able to rest in peace until she found out what happened to her son. By this time, Celsa was in a wheelchair, and one day, inexplicably, she fell down the stairs and was in critical condition. This prompted an immediate search for Mars, dead or alive. Mars's younger brother, Tulai, searched all over for any clues, but was not having much luck. It had been many years, after all. Then, Tulai was ready to give up, but he decided to go through a rice field. With his cane in hand, he carefully walked through. The end of his cane struck something in the ground and shot liquid onto his face. He wiped it away with his hand and realized that it was blood. He called over the other searchers and they began to dig at the spot where his cane hit. Eventually, they found a skeleton. Inside the skull was a perfectly preserved brain. On its ring finger was a wedding ring with my name on it. It was Mars. We arranged a funeral to bury his remains. Shortly thereafter, Celsa died and was buried beside him. Later, we found out that one of the soldiers, Captain Asibes, who had a grudge against Mars, was the one who had him executed. And according to witnesses, when they had told Mars to face his back towards his executioner, he refused to die in such a cowardly way and faced the gun. With Mars gone, my life was so lonely and desperate, I had sleepless nights. If it were not for the children, I would have ended my life. His last words, take, take care, care of, of the children, children, were ringing in my ears. I somehow found the strength to carry on the hard cross that was left for me to bear. One time, when Salvador was two years old and sick with a high fever, he told Tining, Mama Tining, Daddy was here. He sat here by the bed and he was smiling. Where is he now? Tining, desperately trying to hold back tears, answered him. He was only visiting. He'll be back soon. Dorotea Calderon, or my Lola B.I., went on to live a long and fulfilling life as a professor and mother of three. I had only interacted with her a handful of times as a child, before she passed away at the age of 92. I regret not having gotten to know her better while she was still alive, but as my therapist said, when you're a kid, learning about your ancestry isn't vital to your development and survival, so that interest in hearing your elder's stories doesn't settle in until you're older. But working on this podcast has taught me that death is never the end, and I look forward to reconnecting with my Lola in the future. Now it's time for Spirited Discussion, the part of the show where I answer listener mail, give paranormal advice, or discuss interesting paranormal news. Today's email is from Thress. I hope I pronounced that right. 
Hello, Sapphire. I am Thress Gonzalez, a school teacher and martial arts teacher as well. My wife and I have become fans since watching you on Paranormal Caught on Camera. I am now listening to your podcast and some of your older stories. I have been passing your podcast to many of our Filipino friends here in Houston. They have some of the scariest stories. We have a huge Filipino community here. Thank you for doing what you do. Well, I am known as a storyteller in many of my circles and have finally decided to start a vlog and podcast. I am calling it My Ghost Cast. I am totally new to this and was wondering if you can offer some advice, recommendations, and direction for pursuing this kind of storytelling online. Any advice would be welcome. Thanks, and I look forward to your response. Well, thank you so much for your email and for listening to and sharing my show. I really appreciate it. So I actually do get asked this a lot, and so I'd love to share some pointers for anyone who wants to tell stories, whether that's in a podcast or on YouTube or wherever. There's so many options today. So first, really think about what your intention is. Is this something that you want to do on the side as a hobby because it's fun or something you want to turn into a full-time job? People work differently, and sometimes when people turn a passion into a job, they realize it's actually not what they want, and they want to keep their passion a passion. And that's perfectly fine to realize. But I think having your intention in mind from the beginning will determine how much effort you're going to put into your show, and also if you're doing it for the right reasons. Next thing I'll say is to hone your craft. Take writing classes, storytelling workshops, share your work with your friends whose opinion you trust. A lot of the time, people will be so precious with what they make, and they don't share it with anyone until they think it's perfect. But when you do that, you don't learn. Being able to take constructive feedback is important, especially if what you're doing requires an audience. You know, you don't have to take everyone's advice, but this is how you learn self-awareness. And lastly, everybody has a unique point of view. So when you're creating content, think about what you're going to offer the world that no one's seen before. I get messages from young kids where they say they want to be a storyteller just like me when they grow up, which is honestly the sweetest thing. But what tends to happen is that people will simply imitate what they know instead of being inspired by what they know and enjoy and making something new out of that. You know, think of it as, how can you make yourself irreplaceable? Like, I literally put my name in this new podcast so that I can't be replaced. Well, I hope this helps. Um, you know, I, I've always said that the paranormal community is kind of homogenous when it comes to the creators that we hear and see. And I want more diverse voices. So if you feel this calling to make content and share stories, oh my God, please do. You know, there's no gatekeeping in YouTube and podcasts. And that's what I love about it. Thanks for joining me today. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks, like live watch parties or private tarot readings. And if you're a current member of my Patreon, stick around to the end of the episode for your shout out. What stories have your ancestors passed down to you? Email me at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sindalo. 
Special thanks to my grandma and her sister Terry for allowing me to share this story. Music written by Sapphire Sandalo. For more information on this episode, visit storieswithsapphire.com. Thank you so much to the following members of my Patreon. Adelita Andrew, Alvaro Martinez, Amanda Grandinetti, Amy Garcia, Andrea Uyanga, Sherry Passell, Connie A., Deborah Anaya, Dory Dewberry, Faye Pollock, Gavin, Jerry L., Heather H., Janan Ferguson, John Grills, Julie Tran, Kanisha Sharp, Kiki Vanderwall, Kusea, Louise Huntley, Maddie, Nina Palumbo, Nurse Macha, Randy Hager, Rebecca, Ryan Mangini, Sarah, Simon Finn, T. Rexis, Tammy Brassard, Tanya Robledo, Tara Palladino, Tiffany Aitken, Tu Vang, Victoria Santos, Xavier Martinez, and Zoe.